the church in America is struggling. According to Barna research done in 2019, only 27% think that churches have a very positive impact on their community, and the same percentage say that it has no effect on their community. 57% of U.S. adults who have attended in the last six months admit that they and the people they know are tired of the usual type of church experience. When the majority of people think the church is irrelevant and those who do go to church think it's boring, we have a problem. How did we get to this point? How can we fix it? The solution is to go back to the future, to relearn from the New Testament church how to do church today. That's why Kent Edwards, Nathan Norman, and Vicki Hitzkis are starting a new series of discussions from the Book of Acts. Join them today as they discover how a small group of inwardly focused followers of Jesus were able to transform their community for Christ. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkis, and Nathan Norman begin their discussion through the book of Acts. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Acts chapter 1 as we join their discussion. Nathan, Vicki, we have much in common. One of the things we have in common is our love for the local church. I know you well enough that I know you love local churches. So tell me, what do you like most about the local church? I like getting together with people who love the Lord mm -hmm. because of how that strengthens my faith and makes me feel secure and reminds me of who God is and what God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because our everyday life is spent in the world by definition, and people have very different values and standards, and, and to just be around people who have the same priorities that we do, desires, yeah, it's very affirming. It strengthens us, and we're meant to be with others. Right, exactly what Vicky said. The, the thing I like the most is relationships. And if you look at what the problems in North America are cited as, right? People are divided. They don't know anyone outside of their own echo chamber, at least politically or in a mm -hmm. number of issues. People are lonely. They uh, they feel disconnected from the world, right? Uh, and young people who are being radicalized online, right? What do they need? Well, they need relationships with other people. The church supplies so many of those needs. It's relationships. Yeah. Yeah, and I love the fact that as you uh, lead a church and are part of a church, you get to see people grow in Christ, mm. move from where they are to where God wants them to be. That is just so neat to see that happen. But how do we make sense out of the fact that almost 60% of all people who go to church find it boring, and like 50% of the people in America think the church doesn't make any impact whatsoever on the community? Why is the church viewed so poorly? I think church can be boring. I've sat, I've sat through a lot of boring services. I mean, there's. I mean, I have. You have. Yep. It's, it can be boring. That's true. I'll tell you something I think has been a crucial mistake in the church. We talk about the importance of relationships. And churches have gotten away from Sunday school. And when you get mm. away from Sunday school, you go, you sit, and you leave, and then you don't have relationships. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I do think a lot of people view church as boring for exactly what Vicky said is, is we've taken away a lot of opportunity for relationships within uh, churches. Sometimes the preaching is boring and uh, the music, even if it's dynamic and rock music and all this whole thing, <laughs> if it's not led by the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. If, if the, those who are leading worship and those who are preaching, if they haven't been in the word, they, and they haven't been spending time with the Lord, you can tell the difference. Even if it's a great message, all the points are there. It's dynamic. The guy's flipping across the stage. Uh, but if God's not in it, it just, you know, I could just go watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. Well, one thing's for sure is that in the first century, especially as we begin reading the book of Acts, the church was not boring. It was not irrelevant. It was dynamic. It was exciting. And in the next three weeks, as we look at Acts 1 and 2, we're going to discover three basic elements that I think need to be present in local churches for them to be the kind of outposts for God's vision and his purpose in the world. But let's dive in and at least look at the first one. As we do, it's clear from the contrast we see in the apostles, <laughs> what they were doing at the beginning of Acts 1 and what they were doing is, as we get to the end, that there was a clear transformation that took place. I mean, just look at it. In Acts 1.1, well, Vicki, introduce us to this book. Okay, it says, in my former book, Theopolis, now who's writing this? Luke, L- Luke Dr. Right? Luke. Dr. Luke, okay. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Yeah, Luke was right. You read the, the Gospel of Luke. Well, any of the Gospels. Jesus is the star, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's absolutely no question. I mean, up until this point, everything was about Jesus. His disciples followed him. Uh, did what he said usually, um, <laughs> but he but he led them, he taught them, he defended them, he guided them. I mean, basically, all they did was follow Jesus. In fact, even after his resurrection, that continued, because as we see in verse three, it says in verse three, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Yeah. So they were in crisis until the resurrection. But then even after the resurrection, Jesus came back and he was the man, right? Yeah. Don't you know that was exciting? I mean, a dead guy showing up. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> don't you Kept know? teaching them. Kept giving directions, but in verse 9, yeah, everything changed, didn't it, Nathan? Yeah, it says, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? (laughs) They know why. (laughs) But don't you get the... The sense that as they're standing there looking up, it's got to send some angels to tell them to get going. Um, they're like the golden retriever waiting at the window for the homeowner to come home after work. <laughs> yeah. All day, just staring out that window. He's coming anytime now. Come on. How am I going to eat? <laughs> <laughs> I think they were disoriented. 
I think they weren't sure what to do next. They'd always had Jesus to tell them what to do and <laughs> had to be told to go home. Uh, it's a little embarrassing, that, uh, that passage. But, but understandable in a sense, because no one was more important to them than him. And now he was gone. His physical presence wasn't there. I mean, it's, it's kind of like losing a loved one, isn't it? Well, it was. Plus, it was so amazing. He goes up and disappears, and it's amazing. But he's gone, too. Andy's gone. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, losing, like losing a family member to have somebody die suddenly. And how many times? Well, you know, it's like, Vicki, your, your father has passed. My mom and dad have passed. How many times have we wished we could have had a conversation with them? Oh, all the time. And not not just the sadness in the beginning, but just, oh, I wish I had that wisdom. I wish I had his I know. access to him. You know, I think my dad was a was a mechanical engineer, and I think, ah, oh, if dad was here, he'd tell me how to fix this. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I can go to YouTube, but YouTube's a lousy replacement for your father. I just <laughs> YouTube doesn't love you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they, yeah. And when they did leave the mountain finally, we read that. Well, what did they do? They're finally making decisions for themselves, right? What did they do? In verse twelve. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they all went upstairs, sat down, and decided for a prayer meeting. That's certainly not wrong, right? I think it's a, it's a good thing to pray. I'm, I'm, what do you think the focus of their prayer was? What are we supposed to do? God help us. <laughs> Please. Why are you so silent? <laughs> Gosh, yeah, it sounds so. like our prayers now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. Isn't that interesting? Right. Jesus has been gone 15 minutes and it's all internal. And their internal focus increases <laughs> in verse 15 when Peter got up among the believers, a group numbering about 100. And what did he decide to do? What was his first strategy? We have to replace Judas. Yeah. Why? Was there something magic about... The number 12. Come on, 12? we were 12. We have to have 12. Jesus said 12, so we got to go to 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, 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 maybe it's because Jesus would send them out two by two, and maybe they were thinking about going back out, and, you know, they needed... Two. Can't have a group of three. No. Well, <laughs> you can't. Well, it would be more like the Trinity. No, I'm... <laughs> no, I mean, Peter does give it a rationale. He, you know, quotes the David and these Psalms to uh, justify why he did what he did. But frankly, as I look at those Psalms, they don't seem to be messianic in any way. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I buy his exegesis. Um, for that. But in the end, they came to a conclusion, right? In verse 23 and following? What's it say, Nathan? It says, so they nominated two men, Barsabbas and Matthias. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go to where he belongs. Ooh. 
<laughs> then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. So you understand um, my skepticism. They made the decision by what? Yeah, they did pray first. Got that. That was good. But then they did what? They played a game of craps. So never <laughs> in the New Testament, uh, except when the soldiers wanted Jesus' clothes, do we read about anyone casting lots. I wouldn't say that's the way we would determine God's will, but that's um, now that's you got to think of, about like our own lives today. How effective would it be decision making for dice making? Should I take this job or not? Roll. <laughs> Should I date this person or not? Roll. Should I marry this person or not? Roll. No, well, you know what? You I'm know. in love with you, but the dice said no. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but it wasn't that kind of decision. My grandmother had to make a decision once, and it was. 50-50, and she didn't know what to do. And so she rolled dice or, you know, did something like this, cast lots. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was one of those. And my dad said to me, that's not a bad way to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. It's 50-50, and rather than just agonize over it, you got to make a decision, so do something. And I think there's some wisdom to that. Yeah, if it, Ra maybe if it Rather than pick one of the guys apart... Since it was 50-50. No, I'm serious. No, Rather no, than pick right. one of them apart, roll lots and go, I'm sorry you're out, you know? Well, wise or not, they made the choice. And they chose Matthias. <laughs> you're not buying it. No, I'm not buying it. It doesn't no, matter. We never it. hear from either of these two again. Well, that's my point. <laughs> they, they got together. Made, uh, spent the day, probably followed Robert's rules of order, right? They oh. they had a quorum. Oh. They took minutes. They went oh. through this. Just Welcome stop. to board meetings. So bad. Okay, they went through this oh. whole thing, and they chose whatever way this person that didn't make any impact in the entire New Testament. So well done. I mean, you notice what's happened. Jesus is gone, and immediately, what do they do? They sit around and inwardly focused in their in their prayer meetings. Then they sit around inwardly focused, trying to make decisions about moving forward that were completely inconsequential. So, does that ever remind you of churches today? Have you ever seen churches that were entirely inwardly focused? I think that's the standard. Yeah. Uh, explain. I think that's the standard model. I, I think churches are largely, and understandably so, focused on their own budget, their own membership, the own people within their four walls. In fact, we have a, a group up here in northern Michigan that goes around and will help uh, improve people's houses. And this group partners with churches to do that. And... <laughs> And they went to this one church and they said, well, we want to make sure that we're only going to help people within our church. <laughs> I don't think that was the point, was it? Because we don't want, no, it's not the point. We want to make sure that we're not spending money, you know, outside of this. And, and in fact, I remember when we started getting involved with them as a church, uh, a no, the first few projects we did, you know, putting on uh, wheelchair ramps and whatnot, they were pretty far from our church. They were like 40, 45 minutes, an hour away. And and some people were like, why are we even doing this? These people are never going to come to our church, right? So right. so it's, it's a waste of our time. <laughs> so yeah, I, th I, think, I think the natural inclination is to become inwardly focused. Yeah. I think we see evidence of that uh, many places. Our music is often different. I will say that the worship I like the most as I work around the world is the music in Cuba. 
I love their worship. Uh, it's not my style, but it's their style. And they really know how to let loose because Cubans love their music. And I can't tell much difference. I mean, I'm not musical, but I can't tell much difference between music that I hear and uh, in church and the music that I hear when I'm walking down Old Town Havana outside of a bar. There's no, there's no musical moat that people have to cross in order to worship God. They've made it as easy as they can. And remember COVID? How did many, maybe most of our churches respond to this health crisis, internal or external? Oh, no, totally inwardly focused. Yeah, we, I, even my church, we try to be externally focused. But mm -hmm. even then, I, I had uh, some guy talk to me recently in pub, and he's like, hey, you know, you guys used to do this thing. Why isn't that? And it was like, well, yeah, <laughs> we stopped because of COVID. So, yeah. so even, even as externally focused as we're trying to be, uh, we certainly drew back. Yeah. And many churches withdrew totally and uh, just didn't have any impact on the society around them that was going through all those, all that suffering. Focus was entirely on how are we going to keep going rather than how can we minister to the world? I mean, so the inward focus, internal focus that I see here in the early part of Acts, wow, does that ever change? Does that ever suddenly change? I mean, in chapter two, starting at verse one, what happens? It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Right, and suddenly, inwardly focused. And then suddenly, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Whew. What did they do when the Holy Spirit hit them? What did they do? They began to speak in tongues. Ah. Now, what was the purpose in speaking in tongues? Look at what happens. Look at the explanation that's given in verse 5 and following. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Which is their way of saying, aren't these uneducated idiots? Then how <laughs> is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Uh. So, you know, in Christendom, there's great discussion over what does it mean to have the gift of tongues and what does that mean? And denominations have uh, surfaced around this, but at least in this passage, it's very clear what the gift of tongues was, right? As other languages. For the purpose of what? Sharing the gospel. Huh. So other people can understand what you're saying. So when the Holy Spirit came, it totally transformed them. It got their attention. Yeah. It got their attention and it motivated them and equipped them in order to tell others about this Jesus. It's fine to have prayer meetings. It's fine to have board meetings. But when the Holy Spirit came, that was absolutely transformative. Which, <laughs> I mean, Jesus told them this is what was going to happen. Remember back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to change them from being internally focused to externally focused, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the distinctives of Christianity is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't just have a relationship with God, but we have God living within us and the third member of the Trinity. I mean, th this, is, this is transformative for the church. Um, in the Old Testament, yeah, the Holy Spirit was around. It's not like he was born for the New Testament. He's always been. But he came on in the Old Testament a few individuals. It was isolated. It was rare. For example, Samson was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And he turned into Superman, right? I mean, he was unbelievably strong. But now every Christian is superpowered. Everyone is a Marvel superhero because we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit, we know from the New Testament teaching, does change us internally. That's why behaviorally we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. But it's also clear from Jesus' teaching and what we see here in Acts that it changes us missionally. We are to proclaim the gospel. That is why he sent his Spirit. And where are we supposed to do it? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria? And to the ends of the earth, what's the significance of Jesus mentioning those geographical locations? It's getting further and further away from Jerusalem. It's not just here. You're going out further and further and further. Yeah. And that's one of the key differentiators between Judaism and Christianity. Judaism tended to be internally focused. We're the covenant people. But now the church is to be outward focused. I mean, that's Paul's whole point in Ephesians chapter 2, when he says, uh, Formerly you who were Gentiles by, by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. The whole point of the church, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, is to go and share the gospel with those who were not part of the family of God previously. First and foremost, the church is about the gospel. It's about transforming cultures by transforming lives with the gospel. Because with the gospel, people literally become new creations. Whew. What is the mark of an exciting, relevant church? one that changes their community by changing the lives of the people who live in it with the power of the gospel. Boy, the birth of a child is joyous, isn't it? Yes. It is. You know, it, it's crazy. I will labor and spend hours on an audio drama, and then I post that, hey, look what I've created. And it gets like two or three likes. Maybe on a good day, it'll get a comment. <laughs> Right. But, but I post a picture of the kid, right? And, and hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of likes and comments. Oh, he's so cute. Right. Exciting, relevant churches are those that celebrate births. When people are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, when their lives are changed, their relationships are changed, their destiny is changed. Exciting, relevant churches are those that touch their communities with the gospel. That's why the Holy Spirit was given to us. Those kind of churches are ones that understand 
that because of the Holy Spirit, our purpose is primarily missional, that extends beyond our own neighborhood and is truly global. It goes beyond Jerusalem to all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Whew. The catalyst of change in our society is to be the church. It's the gospel that makes the change. We recognize that. Our primary focus isn't trying to elect somebody different or put somebody different on the Supreme Court. We want to change lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not too many churches that I see overwhelmed with this passion for sharing Christ. Is that your observation? Yes, I have a friend who's an evangelist, and he's always telling me how the, chur the church is just not interested in evangelism, just not interested. People I know that are believers are afraid, they don't know how, and they may not even want to learn how. It's terrible. Some of that is systemic. I had a conversation recently with um, Dr. Gary McIntosh, who taught uh, church growth at uh, Talbot School of Theology for many years, longtime member of the Biola faculty. And he told me that there are no evangelical schools that teach evangelism, with the exception oh. of the Southern Baptists. Oh. None. When I discovered in the school I was teaching in that the evangelism missions program had died from lack of interest, I was stunned. What is it when we hold the Bible high, when we take rightfully great pains to understand it, to study it, to memorize it, to teach it, but that doesn't result in care for the lost? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Uh, one of the churches that I have attended on occasion is Saddleback Church, led by uh, Pastor Rick Warren. It's a recent change, but he's been their founding pastor. No, church is perfect. But I'll tell you, I love being there on Easter Sunday. I'll tell you, Rick Warren can preach the gospel. And he does everything he can to introduce people to the person of Jesus Christ. And I love standing at the back when there is a call for people to want to make a commitment. And they come forward by the hundreds. The only thing that comes close to that is afterwards I sneak over to where they have their up outside baptismal tank. And all these strangers are lining up to confess Christ as their Savior and be baptized. Wow. I may not know who they are. But this is a church that is relevant. This is a church that's not boring. This is a church that's going about its primary purpose, and it's to use the gospel to transform people's lives and extend God's kingdom. My hope is that the Holy Spirit that came upon these apostles, that changed them from being inwardly focused to outwardly focused, from caring about themselves to caring about lost people, that the same Holy Spirit that is in us would cause that same hunger and drive for the lost. Because churches that are relevant are evangelistic, and not just in our own communities, but around the world.
If we're believers, the Holy Spirit should be making a difference in our lives. If we're walking in the Spirit, rather than being content to focus inwardly, we should let the Holy Spirit help us to share the gospel around the world. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and serve as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by sharing it on your social media and telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue our discussion through the book of Acts. Be sure to join us. Fifty-seven percent of U.S. adults who have attended in the last six months admit that they and the people they know are tired of the usual type of church experience. I tell you, this is why you got to bring back the snakes. Uh, people are so excited. <laughs> 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 Introduce danger. I would.